Hey, would you like us to read a story of your choosing? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and fill out the web form at the Contact Us link. If you submit a story there that is available to read on Marvel Unlimited, we will consider it for a future episode of the show. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Oh my gosh, the 90s was like the decade that wasn't. Like, you think about it from a pop culture perspective. That wasn't? Was there anything significant, like really significant, that happened in the world of, like, music in the 90s that yes. wasn't? Yeah. It was the birth of Justin Timberlake's career of stuff, man. I was going to say that wasn't Nirvana. Yes, yes. Go back. I saw a BuzzFeed article or a something article that was like, 1999 was the best year of music. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever read. And then I looked at all the songs they recommended and it was like the top 10 of the top 40 of that year. And I was like, holy crap, I know the words to every single one of these songs. And I've never like bought half of these albums. And it's just... Like, I don't know, man, a lot of stuff happened. And maybe it's just because my wife and I are, like, doing midnight feedings and watching Friends all the way through, but, that, you know, there was a lot of crap that happened in the 90s. Even even glancing over Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that is not a strong argument, John. <laughs> no. no, I had a friend who... <laughs> when I was, when I was uh, away from home, a friend uh, recorded a tape for me, and it was a Hootie and the Blowfish tape, and they were like, look, it was cheaper than blank tape. <laughs> <laughs> we just recorded over it poor hoodie and poor blowfish but even like okay justin timberlake genuine question does justin timberlake have good songs for people who like that kind of music yes i'm not gonna say he had good songs i'm just saying he had a career thanks <laughs> to the 90s he had a career uh, and it's probably over i wouldn't say um, that he had a I would not album, say, right? As much as I would love to say that, I wouldn't say that. I mean, his last album didn't do very well. He performed at the Super Bowl, which is basically the kiss of death, unless you're Bruno oh, Mars. Yeah. Bruno Mars, dude, let's not have any let's not have any bad words said about Bruno Mars. Oh, I, I could say them, but I'm not going to. Please, Bruno Mars ain't worth saving. I've reached I've reached the point where like I do, I'm not bothered by pop stars anymore. If if they're not a Kardashian or a Jersey Shore personality, then I just don't care, and they're not bothering me. If they are like a Kardashian, I have or a, more yeah. respect for the Kardashians nowadays than I used to uh, eight months ago. Ugh. What happened in the past eight months? Kim Kardashian has been having conversations with Donald Trump to help uh, people who have been wrongfully jailed and get them out. Uh, I mean, I hate that you're right, but you are right. Like, yeah, I mean, what? How, how many people has Bruno Mars gotten out of jail that were wrongfully in You don't know, man. Maybe he does it anonymously. <laughs> he might fight crime. <laughs> you know what? Maybe he hasn't gotten people out of jail, but darling, he would catch a grenade for you. I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the Gang Grumps video, but there's like this weird internet article from like China that's like meant to like spam you and stuff. And the name of the article is, Does Bruno Mars is Gay? <laughs> <laughs> and then they just kind of read through this terribly written article that says nothing 
It doesn't. It just talks itself in circles and says nothing of value. It's, it's in English, but it's not English. Oh yes. <laughs> I like translation fails. I like that when I order Chinese food from my favorite place, it says your order has been approval. Because <laughs> you know what, I lived. I lived in a foreign country for a couple of years, and I can guarantee I made crazy mistakes. One one time, I said uh, the word seduce instead of accomplish. And that changed the whole meaning of the sentence I was trying to to build. So it goes both ways. It's just language errors are funny. You know, that's that's part of the charm of, of classic Nintendo. And like other oh, video yeah. games, congratulations, this story is happy end. Thank you. <laughs> that was one of, I, I like the meme that shows a list of names of baseball players. And they like tried to make original names, but they like Frankensteined real names together. It's it's bonkers. I can't even riff on it and do it justice. You have to see the real thing. <laughs> oh man. Um, hey, speaking of memes, uh, comics. That's see. I said Bruno Mars fought crime, and nobody picked up that ball and ran. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. My segue game is way off. We six weeks. <laughs> six weeks, guys. Since I've had oh to make a good segue. Sleeve McDyckel. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, see, you I looked it. up that list. I looked up that list. I'm sorry. This is no, cold. no. You should read a couple because they're just they're just. It's a nightmare. Uh, Ray McSorif, <laughs> Glenallen Mixon, oh, oh, Tony Smerick, Smerick, Smerick. That actually sounds like it could be a real name. Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> That's the best one. There it is. <laughs> hey, I'll have you know the Dugnuts built this country. <laughs> Also, oh, the Duck Duck Clan made itself to Ellis Island in the years. Uh, we've stayed here. We've been a pinnacle of the United States. You will respect the Duck Ducks. They did. They <laughs> did change the last name to Douglas, though. They weren't putting up with our our hilarity of our last name. You know, one would say they didn't have the nuts for these Dugs. <laughs> you guys are ripping, and in my head, somehow this turned into Scrooge McDougnut. Who came over to the United States and built a fortune starting with just his lucky dime. <laughs> oh, screw See, that, and that makes me think of Scottish Twitter, which puts me in my happy place. Ugh. Oh, Scott, Scottish Pokemon Twitter was also, the best. Also, yes. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I gotta say, um, five minutes in, and we might already have our episode title. <laughs> Bob Dugnut? <laughs> Bobson Dugnut's built this city. <laughs> All right. We built this city on Dugnut's back. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Superhuman Registration Podcast, a show where we endlessly rehash memes from five years ago. Wait, hold on. We're going to get into Chuck Norris jokes. It's going to be gold. <laughs> My gosh. Uh, John Oliver just did a sketch where he rickrolled. A couple times. Oh my oh, goodness! Rickrolls still beautiful. make me happy. <laughs> not when you're the not when you're the victim of one, but it's like watching. It's I like watching. I don't know a if it's video. just like a. I don't know if it's Stockholm syndrome or what, but I kind of like that the Rickroll song. Yeah, never gonna give you up. I think it's great. Yeah, it's not yeah. a bad song, but when you're expecting a funny YouTube video and you get tricked into it, that's different. I tell you what's gonna happen is like at my funeral, they're going to be like playing the organ and say, now everybody turn your hymnals to Abide With Me, Fast Falls the Eventide. And then the organist is going to whip up, <laughs> never going to give you up, never going to let you down. It's going to happen. Steven comes out from behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> never going to give, never going to give. 
I want my body suspended from the ceiling. <laughs> Steven, I think I'm just going to throw this out there. I think you missed an opportunity for your wedding. Oh, <laughs> man. You could have had a lookalike, you and your wife. There could You could have had two doppelgangers. <laughs> the whole receiving line lines up and they meet with them and they're like, who the heck are these stunt doubles? And you're in the other room just like jamming to Rick Astley. Just all... <laughs> Just laughing, yeah. You guys missed it. Uh, my wife and I, our first dance was to Taylor Swift's Blank Space. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy I missed it. <laughs> Steven, do you really want to start your marriage on, on that note? Taylor Swift? Well, we did. There... The only time you should start your wedding on Taylor Swift is when you're getting married to Taylor Swift. <laughs> and and good luck keeping it together. Um, I, as I understand it, all of her songs are, are about breakups and... You know, D-bags who cheat on her. Uh, nowadays, all of her songs are about her. But, I mean... Oh, yeah, and all the things we made her do. <laughs> anyway, this is not the Taylor Swift cast. That's next week. Sorry, T-Swift. Welcome to Tay-Tay cast 2019. <laughs> <laughs> 2019? <laughs> oh, man, that means she just turned 30. Um, wow, really? T- 1989, man, where you been? I don't even. I don't even listen to her music, and I'm aware of that. Huh. I could have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she did date Ed Sheeran, so... Or did she date Uh, Ed Sheeran? Welcome to the new Grooming Aldo for Taylor Swift cast. Oh, God. This time, the relationship's gonna stick, everybody. Let's let's not use the word (laughs) grooming, please. Oh, gosh, no, I meant... Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Wait. I mean, she's not that much older than me. Okay, guys, guys, no, seriously, seriously, seriously. We have to talk about a different set of dysfunctional adults. We gotta talk about Tony Stark. Oh, oh yeah! You know, I didn't even realize we lined up. You know, rich, dysfunctional people. Yeah, seriously, we yeah. don't have superpowers. So yeah. this week's this week's episode of the podcast, we've got a story uh, about Iron Man and a story about Moon Knight, and so this will be an interesting discussion. I think uh, if you guys don't mind, I think I want to go ahead and, and start with the Iron Man story. Oh sure. Yeah, go ahead. So we read Iron Man, the 2004 series, numbers one through six. This is the Extremis story arc with uh, writing by Warren Ellis and art by... Addie Granoff. Addie? Is it Addie Granoff? Uh, yeah. I I assume. Yeah. I, I, you I asked read him. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called him up uh, right before the podcast. Yo, Addie. Uh, Oh, it's Adi? Is that right? Have I said it right? (laughs) Thanks, Granoff. (laughs) Some of y'all might already be familiar with this story, at least to some extent, because it was the basis for Iron Man 3, which, separate discussion... And Iron Man 1. Yeah, to some extent. uh, Iron Man 3 is, in my opinion, the best of the Iron Man movies. I'm gonna stand by that. You know, I think, yes, I I would... if If we ignore the third act of Iron Man 1, then I'd say, no, uh But because Iron Man 1's third act is there, yeah, it's it. Iron Man 3 stands you know, strongest. I, yeah. I would dare say Iron Man 1 is the best Iron Man movie because Iron Man 3 is the best Tony Stark movie. But um, he is Iron Man. That's yeah. literally his catchphrase. First and Iron last. Man. Oh, I'm going to cry. When, Dang it. Have you... Have you seen them both in the room, in the same room at the same time? I don't know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, like, okay, so if you're familiar with Iron Man primarily from the movies, this comic is kind of weird because it is still operating under this b- 
bizarre uh, subterfuge where Iron Man is actually Tony Stark's bodyguard. Yeah. So Tony Stark has a secret identity. He gets interviewed by this uh, documentarian who is asking him, he's really putting very challenging questions to him about his, about Stark's history with arms manufacturing and selling weapons to the United States government. And this is kind of intercut with this other group that has been developing uh, some sort of super soldier substitute. They do name drop Captain America somewhere in this story. So they've developed this formula. It's called extremists that turns humans into these crazy, powerful super soldier types. You're super strong. They heal quickly and they breathe fire. So and they're fast. And they're fast. So this woman, whose name escapes me at the moment, it's like Maya something. She she's Maya actually, Hansen. Maya Hansen. Yeah. She's in Iron Man three or yeah, yeah. the movie Iron Man three. So Maya is an old friend of Tony Stark's, and she and she was a dude. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You forgot her name, and she's in the Prestige, your quote unquote favorite film. It's the same actress. No, no. The the character's name is Maya Hansen. I know. I just figured that you would have like you know known every detail about everybody involved in the movie and their later uh, careers. You know. Sadly, no. I guess you don't really love movies, Stephen. I guess not. I guess I'm just a fake geek boy. So. See, this is why we should have we should have done some little gatekeeping, Aldo. They say don't they say don't be a gatekeeper, but we should have checked this dude out. Clearly, does not have the proper creds. Mm-mm-mm. Guys, I run a podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. look at the name on the door, you schmoes. <laughs> you, know, you know who else runs a podcast? Every other midwestern middle aged white man. Oh gosh, I've missed you, buttholes. <laughs> Oh, I should have added middle class to that. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, Maya recruits Tony Stark to help her kind of corral this this escaped test subject who is this oh my gosh, this guy is kind of creepy. He's this like stereotype of a backwoods racist who is going to go uh, to Washington DC to like kill the president or blow up the White House or something because there are too many black people in America now and the whole thing's falling apart. And he, like, reveals all of this to some girl that he meets on the way and the girl disagrees with him and he just, like, literally rips her head off. Uh, It's really dark stuff. Intercut with all of this development, we get flashbacks and kind of an updating to the Iron Man story, the origin story, which is, I think, the origin story that they more or less use for the movie Iron Man 1. Uh, they update it so that it's it's Al-Qaeda that uh, Tony Stark falls in with, where originally I think he was captured during the Vietnam War. I'm not positive on that, but it was around that time. Yeah, it's a little ambiguous. Which it kind of needs to be because he's still around. Yes. So anyway, as a result of this, everything coming to a head, Iron Man gets in a fight with this extremist super soldier, loses the fight, and he's about to die. So he asks Maya to inject him with the like the remaining extremist formula. And he uses that to kind of mind link himself to his Iron Man suit. And now he has more mental control over the suit. And he's got increased speed and agility, 
uh, maybe, I don't know, that part's a little bit ambiguous, but whatever it is, it's enough that he can now defeat the extremist guy, and he can go on being Iron Man without being dead. And also, Maya was actually uh, evil the whole time, and she also gets arrested. And that's extremists! Which, you know, it's still pretty close to, like, there's, there's... Like, it's not a direct adaptation from the movie, and they made the bad guys, you know, advanced idea mechanics, so oh, that gives widening the universe. it predates the movies. Yeah. No, I'm saying, like, I'm saying the movie, you know, wasn't a direct adaptation oh, of the sorry. comic. Yes. But it still hit, I think, the important points. We don't get, uh, we don't get his hippie buddy Sal um, in the movie, though. Yeah, and I think one of the is, things you know, the movie does a little better that the comic doesn't quite nail is Tony Stark has this whole thing where he's kind of self-loathing and you know can't look at himself in the mirror and suddenly he injects himself with this super weapon drug thing and all of a sudden he's like I'm okay now mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. really kind of work all the way through mm-hmm. and there's like I think better development in the in the movie as far as how the Cause he, yeah because Tony Stark gets himself better by you know, going to a hardware store and uh, rigging together some stuff. He's he's the engineer. He's well, a I meant, fixer. I'm in Iron Man One. Oh, 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 I thought we we're still talking about three in Extremis. Okay. Um, no, I mean, the the thing is, it's so hard. Like, I, I, so part of the thing is also why it's com- kind of confusing, is because both one and three really do take a lot of inspiration from here. They really uh, do, don't they? One one primarily takes a lot of visual inspiration. It was Granov's redesign that kind of inspired the the 2008 movie design of his suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that just looks like Robert Downey Jr. at this point. Um, and there's a couple things in there that are really reminiscent of the movie. I mean, the whole back part with the whole flashback part with Yen said. There's also the part where that maniac dude is throwing the car with the kids and the mom. And it's just yeah. like that scene in Iron Man 1 where he has to stop the car with the mom and the kids in the car. Yeah. And he stops it and it lands... No, it doesn't land on him, but, you know, mm-hmm. things work out a little different. Yeah. You know what, though? So this this book really reminded me of something that I haven't really had to grapple with since we read Civil War. Mm-hmm. I, f- I freaking hate comic book Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I can't tell you how down I was on the concept of an Iron Man movie because of how much I hate comic book Tony Stark. Well, because he's C-list. Like, at the time when the movie came out, you know, I was like, wow, they are scraping the barrel. Little did we know, (laughs) you know, that Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be a movie. You know, just, okay, they can't make Fantastic Four, can't make X-Men, can't make Spider-Man. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to get Iron Man. Iron Man? And it was was huge. And let's, let's be real. Like, it is Robert Downey Jr., Although, yeah. like you said, you that, you know, the comic book is, like, this guy is basically just like Robert Downey Jr. in appearance, but mm-hmm. he's not, because he doesn't yeah. have that charisma. Like, he doesn't quip, he doesn't... Right, have, well, I mean, visually. Visually, he is, but, yeah. like, in personality, yeah. he's just another depressed, brooding superhero, who's like, am I, am I moral? Am I right? The whole point of this book is that he is, you know, they meet with... Uh, their hippie friend Sal, who chews them out for being arms dealers, basically. Mm-hmm. And this is Iron Man, like, struggling to convince himself it's okay to be an arms dealer because I'm different now. You know, yeah. and it's 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 so self-pitying where, you know, 
in in the movies when Robert Downey Jr.'s Stark got into that sort of mindset, he didn't mope and just like insult himself in the mirror. He got angry. He got frustrated, like in a very believable way. And Downey Jr.'s performance like added charisma and added charm to it and frequently humor. And there's just none of that here. Or I should say little. There were a couple of lines where I went, huh, okay, I could see that being funny if Robert Downey Jr. said it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty few and far between. It felt like a Batman story to me. Batman comes up against an obstacle, he loses, he figures it out, they fight again, he wins. Yeah. That's kind of like how it felt to me, you know, like Tony goes through this experience, he upgrades himself, and then gets back into the fight, you know. Yeah. Um. I think part of the problem here is I I hate the art. I hate it. It oh, is really? flat. It is lifeless. It is just too clean, too boring. It's just there's it does nothing for me. It's just awful. Um it has just, you know, nothing it's like it's just like we need it we need a picture of Tony laying on a hospital table. Okay, all right. We need him in this kind of pose. Oh, okay, all right. Like, there's no nuance to it. It's just, it's just boring. So, so the thing is, I think Grenoff really kind of earns a lot of his prestige from being a cover artist. Um, but I think that comes with the territory that he gets to spend. You know, I don't know. You know, in a, in a perfect world, he only works on one cover mm-hmm. at a time, and he's not stressed out. So, you know, he has a, a whole month to work on one cover. So it looks fantastic. It looks beautiful. But I think his art style doesn't really lend itself to a typical workflow of producing that much, that much content, right? Because it's a lot. It's really clean. The colors are. I I think typically the the shading and stuff like that. It's really well done. the The models are always, at least to me, are always proportionate. Um, mm-hmm. But you can tell he's definitely cutting corners because the colors are definitely muted a lot of the time. The backgrounds at times are non-existent. Yeah. The expressions just, are flat and boring. The only time when you get something slightly different than just a like a bland face is when the like the like the extremist guy is like killing someone and there are veins popping out of his face. But mm-hmm. that's that's really it. You know, everything yeah. else is just like, here's my face. Yeah. yeah. So 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 I think I I, I don't want to say the art is bad because that's actually one of my favorite things about this comic. I actually mm. really love the art, but I've have been a long time fan of Addy Granoff. Mm. You know, that's why I called him up before the podcast. Sure <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but it is one of those things where it's like, I would, I prefer him as a cover artist. Uh, Cause I like when he's able to really make colors pop and have a lot of beautiful detail and, and not sacrifice any of it for having to do all the stuff that he does in, in, a, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I think his character models are fantastic. I, I mean, even the covers of this book, I think, you know, the colors are muted. And I think that's because they're going for a more realistic look. But, I mean, some of those poses are fantastic, I think. I guess. Yeah. I, I, I like the first cover, but that's Well, it. I'm sorry not everybody draws for a for a, uh, a McDonald's kids menu, John. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that's, Wait, what? That's like a McDonald's kids menu. I mean... I mean <laughs> That was like, sorry, that was meant like a Denny's kids menu. There we go. I don't know what you're saying. Like Scotty Young, his art looks like it belongs on a kids menu at Denny's. (gasps) You take that back. (laughs) Does it not though? No, it does not. Are you telling me if you sat down and Scotty Young art was on a plate on a kids menu in Denny's, you would get all excited? 
I have not been to Denny's in some time. Does it ha- is the style like unto Scotty Young's? It's <laughs> like oh, I, I make my moons over my hammy at home now. <laughs> I really I've never ordered that, but I can't remember any other the, the goofy breakfast items. Uh, the I have been, I have been doing keto, so I've had a lot of bacon and eggs lately, and uh, <laughs> I don't I don't have any fancy names for them yet. Yeah, you, you want to be careful with your uh, with your with your butter intake. You, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't it doesn't lubricate the ventricles? <laughs> I mean, at the beginning it does. <laughs> Anyways, that was health tips with the Superhuman Registration Podcast. <laughs> Gosh. Get your, t- get your health tips here to get superhuman like. <laughs> Fifty two pounds down, so that's something. Hey. Ooh. I haven't nice. looked at my arteries yet, so I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> there have been salads. <laughs> <laughs> so so. My favorite thing about our discussion so far tonight is I'm sitting here trying to keep us on task because I know John wants us to keep this to be a short episode. <laughs> oh, and I'm just taking us right off the right off the track. Yeah, yeah. I'm very sorry, but I'm oh, not good. sorry because hey. I'm having fun. <laughs> fun is important. No, I I appreciate that. Um, I just, as you can tell, it's been a while since I've talked to people. <laughs> <laughs> People who could talk back. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of you have peed on me. As that you or or defiantly said that you don't want to go to bed and whatever else. My, I mean, my... I don't want to go to bed. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> so. Okay. I, I think that I like the writing and I was looking over um, just I just searching in the app by Warren Ellis. I forgot that we that Karnak was by Warren Ellis. Yep. And yep. Um, he does. He has a Moon Knight run as well. Which mm-hmm. I'm gonna read, uh, like like manana. So. I'll tell you this: I've read the Warren Ellis Moon Knight. Is good. Good. Okay. It's very good. The um, covers are excellent. I mean, oh my gosh! It's, it's it's fun. I like the design of them. I mean, we'll get to it when we actually yeah. talk about that yeah, story. Yeah. But uh, the artist for the Warren Ellis run is part of the reason the Warren Ellis run on Moon Knight is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gotta tell you. I'm actually disappointed with Ellis on this book. Yeah? I don't like the writing. Because I feel like, to me, the the key for good writing is, is it consistent? Is it coherent? Are the, the Is the destination a natural byproduct of the journey? And I'm okay, like, if it's kind of faulty or a little bit flimsy. Like, I, I've learned about myself recently that I really love the ambitious underdog who maybe bites off too much and doesn't actually deliver. But boy, did they try. So I'm okay uh-huh. if it's imperfect. But what I struggle with here is I don't buy Tony Stark's conclusion. At the end of issue six, uh, Stark meets up with, or well, I guess... Well, yeah, I guess Maya does know at this point that Tony Stark is Iron Man. So Stark meets up with Maya Rudolph. Or I call her Maya Rudolph. That's <laughs> I know, that is a comic I would read. It would be funny and delightful. Yeah. Uh, Tony just teched himself into the past. <laughs> Maya Hansen. Yeah, Maya Hansen. So Maya Hansen is, is under arrest now because she basically set this whole thing up to uh, show off how good the extremist technology would be so she could sell it to the military. And Maya comes back and says, I would have used the renewed funding to get out of the arms race, set up on my own, medical technology. More than 50 people die in car accidents every day. 
The only mistake I made was giving a damn about who was inside the Iron Man suit. There's no difference between us, Tony. You're no better than me. And then Tony Stark takes a beat, and then he says, but I'm trying to be, and I'm going to be able to look at myself in the mirror tomorrow morning. And it's supposed to be like, you know, the reassuring conclusion to the story, but what happened earlier in this ip issue is that Iron Man was in a fight with the extremist guy, and he, like, blows his head up and then kicks the corpse and says, damn you for making me do that. Oh, don't forget when he previously blew out the other dude, the other dude's chest before blowing out his head. Oh yeah, but the guy recovered from that because there is no chest wound in his corpse. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that's the thing is like Iron Man's big victorious moment comes seconds after he all but says, oh, look what you made me do. To the person he just killed. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Oh my gosh. the That is simultaneously the best and worst Taylor Swift song. Because it is awful. <laughs> and it gives us so much to talk about. Yeah. But anyway. I Yeah. See, that's, and that's kind of my problem with this book. Is I remember really liking it um, You know, when I first read it. And then I was one of those nerds like that when Iron Man the film came out. I was like... You guys would call yourself fans, but you guys don't know what uh, what book inspired this. Look at the designs. Anyways, um, I've, I've grown. Made a lot of friends that way, did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at you guys. We're friends now. <laughs> we're, we're work acquaintances. Um, no, so, like, going back and rereading this, I feel like that... I feel like the Maya Hansen stuff isn't set up nearly well enough. Mm -hmm. His his big conclusion comes out almost out of nowhere, and wrapped up super fast. Like yeah. that whole that whole twist and reveal comes out like the last couple of pages. Literally the last two pages. Yeah, um, I read the thing... entirety of the last two pages. That's where the comic ends. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, like Tony's development doesn't really feel like development. Is like cool. I killed a dude. You know. I think I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of how it comes across. I. He wasn't even writers. racist, though, with superpowers. <laughs> I mean, credit where credit is due. You don't decapitate, like, just some normal bad guy. This was a super bad guy. But I feel like that's so, <laughs> like, how can we make him so hateable that you don't feel bad when he gets killed? You reveal him and to it... be a Tucker Carlson fan. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I he... prefer Jaleel White as the voice of Sonic. <laughs> 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 Kill him! <laughs> yeah, like, but, uh, there is good development for Iron Man in the story, but that development is the the fact that they finally just straight up gave Iron Man superpowers instead of having the suit. Because yeah. that makes his suit actually more visually interesting. Like, I, I do think that there is, on some level, movie Iron Man wouldn't have been as interesting and as cool if it weren't for this story arc, because this kind of opened the gate for Iron Man to have what is essentially mind-controlled armor. And then we get all of these neat things in the movies where, like, he has these detachable bits that fly off and shoot extra lasers at Thanos. Like, yeah. this is exactly the moment where the power creep starts for Iron Man, where he can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Thanos and have it be visually and, like dramatically interesting yeah this is mm -hmm. a pretty big precursor also because uh tony and i think even for 10 10 or 13 more years after this in the comics he would just continue to have 
act like armor that goes on him, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't I want to say 2016 or 2017 where he developed in the comics he developed like that like that liquid metal that lives under his skin not entirely dissimilar to the extremists. Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of that interesting development for Tony Stark's suits starts here. And I think that's a good bit of housekeeping. But at the end of the day, to me, that's what this book reads like. It reads like housekeeping. Like, okay, we need to make Iron Man more interesting for the 21st century. Let's let's give him some, like, bullcrap nanotech uh, super soldier injection thing, you know? Uh, and it, it, uh, it goes to interesting places. But as far as, like, Stark's own development here, I don't really buy it. And it's kind of frustrating because I can see, like, shades of that really interesting Warren Ellis stuff that we saw in, like... Karnak. In Karnak, yeah. Yeah. So good. I mean, you have two characters who aren't exactly, you know, likable. Right. Uh, who are both yeah. dealing with, like, their inner demons and inadequacies in the superpower world. And they both and have both. somebody just, like, sit them down and tell them to cut with the crap. In, yeah. in Karnak, you get the painter, and in this, you've got Sal. But the lesson that Sal gives doesn't have any repercussions. Whereas in Karnak, you know, the painter says a bunch of stuff, and you can tell that it gets under Karnak's skin, and it informs literally the rest of the story. Yeah, and then Karnak gets under his skin. Oh, and muscles. God. And bones. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he karate chops him into a million pieces. Ugh. Yeah. Mr. Miyagi would have been proud. Oh, I think he'd be horrified. He'd... Oh, probably. Now, the first time I ever saw this was, um, I, I would say, a failed experiment called Motion Comics. This <laughs> and um, a comic we're going to read for next time, Astonishing X-Men, where they take the panels and they kind of Ken Burns them a little bit, just so there's <laughs> enough motion where it looks like a cartoon. No, I'm serious. That's what it is. I love it. And, I love no, it that I you call it Ken, Ken Burnsing it, though. That's pretty great. Well, there's that's actually... it's They turned it into a feature in one of the versions of iMovie that I played around with a while back. But they... Uh, and, and I've been re-watching... I've been watching a lot of crap because you, you, you're up in the middle of the night several times to feed babies. And so... Ken Burns Baseball, I just watched all of uh, Babe Ruth's episode, because um, they cover a decade per episode, and I don't know if you know anything about the 20s in baseball, but dang if it wasn't all about Babe Ruth. But anyway, 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 uh, Motion Comics, that's how I saw Extremis the first time, like right after the movie came out, Iron Man 3, or right before. Either way, it helped, I think, make it more like a coherent story. I don't know. Maybe I just am giving it a pass because it was a it was a picture show, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. No, I've said this before. I think, I think the the true end game of motion comics is actually just cartoons. Yeah. So yeah, I no, like know. the if the way to make them better is to animate them more, and if you're gonna do that much work anyway, you might as well just do it as a cartoon. Like right, and, and you it, could it go like work. the the classic anime route where you have a still image where the characters are talking to each other, but you don't have to animate anything because they're covering their mouths. Somebody's been watching yeah. Evangelion recently. <laughs> hey, man. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, but those fights look really good, don't they? Yeah. So we are actually going to try to keep this episode a little bit shorter, and I think that's actually this is a good time to do it because I don't know about you guys, I don't have that much else to say about extremists. No. No, it just it is what it is. It I, is I what think it that is. Yeah, I think we the got... biggest 
the biggest discussion here came out of uh, John and I's disagreement on the art. Yeah, which I, I, I think I fall somewhere in the middle where I think it's technically pretty good. But... No, I'm saying like it's it's fine, but it's like it's like they check the box of like draw this character. I'm not saying that like Ooh. you know the proportions are bad, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's boring. It's bland. It's flat. 100%. It's lifeless. It's an obligation. Girl us. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the art was an obligation that they fulfilled. It is not. Yeah. It is completely yeah. uninspiring. Yeah. Which you, is a shame because I think the the artist is technically proficient, and I I could imagine that some of his work in other, uh, like areas is is going to be a lot more dazzling. I don't hate these covers. I I don't love the Iron Man design. So just covers that are focused on Iron Man is, uh, I shouldn't say I don't like the Iron Man design. I don't like Iron Man. Like that's yeah. really what it is. <laughs> I I think if you get a chance, you should look at some of. Uh, Grand Elf's other cover art that he's done on, on other comics. He does a lot of variants. It's really good stuff. And here it just all... I, like I said previously, I think a lot of it just comes at at the cost of having to draw so much of it in the time span. Yeah. And I think to his, to his credit, he is the sole credited artist. There's no inkers, pencilers, colorists. It's him. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, he was also doing the cover art. Oh, he did some of these Darth Vader covers. These are pretty good. Yeah, like, see, he's really good. I think in this case, I think it's just the detriment of, one, the time schedule, and two, the more realistic kind of grounded tone of the stuff he's doing. So his colors don't really pop as much as they do in, in other other things. Yeah, I'm looking at some of his other covers right now. He is pretty good, and he is actually pretty deft with colors. So I yeah. think this is just kind of an aberration, maybe. All right, well, if that's going to wrap us up for Iron Man, Aldo... I think Sorry. it's your turn to talk about Moon Knight. Yeah. Uh, so Moon Knight, this is uh, by Bendis and Malieve. Uh, I never remember the, their first names. Brian uh, Michael Alex Bendis Malief. and Alex Malieve, yeah. Uh, but this is one of the few works that they've, that they've done together. Um, we're only reading the first half of this arc. It's uh, 12 issues, and we're reading the first seven. And so pretty much this starts out with uh, Mark Spector, who is Moon Knight, has settled down in, in L.A. or in California. Uh and is making films that are kind of based on his life but kind of maybe not it's never really uh said yes or not the other you know otherwise i thought it was um, like a soap opery kind of show like a something along the lines of like you know the the pretender oh, yeah. or like you know yeah i think it's a tv show that's right yeah. they said it's like the best serial since xena yeah uh which you know still one of the best shows on television which one um, <laughs> Xena. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but but anyway, so turns out there's a he kind of gets stuck in the middle of this of this thing where some people are trying to buy an Ultron, uh, like a decommissioned Ultron, and he kind of intervenes, fights uh, Mister Hyde or Doctor Jekyll, one of the two. I don't it's Mister Hyde. Mister Hyde. Uh, you know, kind of intervenes and, and gets away with, with the head. So him, thinking he's kind of been employed by the Avengers to work on this, uh, you know, initially, he's he, it's Wolverine, Captain America, and Spider-Man, kind of, you know, takes it upon himself to really kind of get in in, in the middle of this whole mess, figures, try to figure out who's getting this Ultron head, and figures out that there's a new kingpin who's trying to establish himself on the West Coast, he meets up with Echo, who was also an Avenger at one point in time, who was a deaf 
uh, hero, which we don't see a whole lot of. I feel like I feel like her and Daredevil would make a really good uh, good pair. Um, <laughs> is that insensitive? I feel like a that's little. insensitive. You know, yeah, keep that in there. <laughs> Aldo's just going to own his past mistakes, and he's like, you know what, I said what I said, I will apologize for it, but I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen. It happened. Gosh. You know, it's my past who makes me who I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes ago, Aldo was way insensitive. <laughs> Ten minutes ago, Aldo could have been a Supreme Court justice, but as of right now... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, so, so Moon Knight and Echo kind of work on this uh, on this case together. Eventually, the real Avengers get involved, and they kind of let <laughs> Moon Knight do his thing. You know, he convinces them, "Hey, you, you know, you're not here, you're not involved. We are, we are already kind of in this. Let us do this. We'll make sure you know this new kingpin doesn't. We, we one, we figure out who this new kingpin is, and we make sure he doesn't get this head. So he takes his he takes essentially his Alfred." Uh, into this and to sell the head to to this new kingpin and we find out it's Count Nefaria uh, Moon Knight and uh, Moon Knight and Echo are you know kind of fight this dude well Moon Knight does it and Echo just films the whole thing kind of as evidence and they figure out who the new kingpin is they take his you know right hand person and and uh, kind of submit both of them to the Avengers at the end of the whole thing so a little bit of a happy ending, you know, in the meantime, until the second half. Uh, but yeah, so I think one of the things I didn't really talk about is how Moon Knight hears voices. And at the beginning of the comic book, he's hearing voices from Captain America, Wolverine, and Spider-Man. But it's revealed at the beginning of the, at the end of the first issue that he's hearing voices. He's by himself and he adopts their personalities into his fighting style. Uh, so at one point, he's fighting entirely like Spider-Man, but when he's fighting all these other people, he's kind of mixing styles. So he has, like, these web shooters that don't actually shoot webs that have, like, Wolverine's claws in there. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. It so, took me a second because uh, I was like, I think I know that his powers are is that he's crazy. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That time with uh, those Avengers, it wasn't really them. It was just him in his head, and then it becomes clearer like later on in the comics. I felt kind of dumb at uh, how long it took me to get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <sighs> but I think that's I don't know. I feel like that's kind. I don't want to say that's kind of the point because you know what? I was trying to help you out of this, but the more I'm trying to say, it, uh... <laughs> no, John, you're just dumb. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it starts. He does like actually get briefed by them at first, right? Well, he no. No? No. Their first meeting together? They don't show up to like issue four or six for real. Yeah. From all appearances, they are not actually there except for that one issue where they are actually there. What about like he come they get he gets called out of the party and he's like, Gentlemen, we need you. We need Moon Knight. Like the that's, they that's him. Okay, but that that's no. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay, because they're not doing the they're not doing the um they're not doing the the uh, what do you call it the speech bubbles like they do later in the issues. I thought the first meeting I, that they have in the first issue on pages seven, eight, nine, or eight, yeah. nine, eight and nine. That that one's to catch you off guard. 
It's, well, it's, then it's color me a uh, gullible fool, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was like after he met up with them, then he was like, now, now I've become them, you know, because he's not like, <laughs> he's not like Taskmaster, right? He, he can't just no. observe somebody and then gain, like, you know, mimic their powers or anything. He just. Yeah, he's, he's more like a Batman character. Yeah. He's kind of yeah. well-trained, wealthy. Uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of implied that he gained some powers from with this moon thing that maybe is a real thing from the TV show. I, I would get, I would guess that gives him, you know, durability, like plot armor. You know, like he can he can get beat up a bit more than the average. You know. Yeah, that's that's what the that's what the moon god gives him protagonist mm-hmm. protection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, that yeah, that's a good summary of everything um i loved this loved it loved it loved it it's right up my alley this is like street level hero kicking butt being a detective you know this is great i loved it all and it was a character i wasn't familiar with and um you know the art was cool it was a little loose but i think it worked for this story um, I like Alex Maleev's art. Yeah, I like it a lot. I forget what other he's. I think he hasn't. We've read something by him, right? No, I think he's done covers. Maybe I have something of his. You somewhere. probably have. I don't know. My memory is just gone. So, but I like it, um, and I think the writing's good. I think um, something I noticed in a couple of fight scenes, and I'm trying to bring it up. The paneling is interesting because it, um, you know, they they break up. Um, moments of action you know and like some stuff where he's just studying the ultron head you know like yeah it's repeated panels but it is wordy it's a good back and forth conversation and thank goodness mendes didn't put him around a conference table (laughs) you know yeah i should have picked up on this is going to take all of us when he's just in the room by himself yeah i I think think a couple of the things i like a lot is uh when he's kind of giving himself a pep talk and wolverine tells him you know don't screw this up or something like that and he's like I'm so hard on myself. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I, I'm particularly fond of the bit where he's waiting to meet up with Echo uh, right before they get attacked by the uh, by the night shift. Yeah. And all the uh, and all his personalities are kind of giving him a pep talk. Yeah. <laughs> Some really good stuff. So I'm not actually super familiar with Moon Knight, like, at all. Oh, dang I it. I was this... counting on you being like, well, Moon Knight actually is, yeah, you know, no, from 1975. So, mm. Like, all I know about him is, uh, like, he first appeared in an issue of Werewolf by Night, because uh, that was a series that happened. Um, <laughs> I have read this, what we read for the podcast tonight, and I have read The War in Ellis Moon Knight. And that's, like, he has a one-page cameo in Infinity Gauntlet, and I had the trading card. That's it. Everything I know about Moon Knight. And of course so, like, you have the trading card. Of course I had yeah. the trading card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, what I don't know is, like, Moon Knight being, like, having multiple personalities. Is that a development of this series? You know, or is that, does that, is that older? This is the only Moon Knight content I've ever consumed, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not clear on it. I gotta say, I don't love the way that comics... This, I have, I, I work in the medical field. I'm not like a doctor, but I spend a lot of time reading medical records. And up until like a year or two ago, I spent a lot of time interacting with psychiatric patients. And so I have grown increasingly sensitive about the ways that mental illness 
as portrayed in fiction. And so multiple personalities in particular is something that I don't know enough about it to know if this is actually a nuanced, respectful portrayal or not. What I do know is that it set me on edge and it made me defensive, kind of just from being what it is. See, I thought it was more just like a way to visually convey what was going on. Now, whether that's accurate to, you know, how it is in real life or not, I couldn't say, but I just thought it was a way for, you know, the audience to see how he's breaking down the problem, thinking about it like Cap would, thinking about it like Spider-Man would, thinking about it like... like um, Wolverine. A Wolverine. So is that like the id, the ego, and the superego? I mean, potentially it could be. That's all. Is, like, that too, is that reading too much into it? And I, trying I to think assign... it might be a little bit, especially because, like, at you know, when he's talking to Buck, he straight up tells him, you know, I hear voices. Like, that's, yeah, uh-huh. I'm yeah. crazy. So. Yeah, and like you can hear voices and be a high functioning member of society. Like uh-huh. you can. That is that is a thing that can happen. But, like, I don't know. And there's another thing, like, and this is probably a more, like, a criticism that I'm able to express more. In universe, Moon Knight hears the voices of Captain America, Spider-Man, and Wolverine. That's a weird combination of characters. Especially, like, when this story took place. Because this is right around the time that they were all on the Avengers together. For Uh the first time. It seems like I don't know. Did did Moon Knight ever really have cause to interact with Wolverine prior well, who are to the, this? Who are the most famous Avengers? Who do you exactly. think of when you think of the Avengers? Yeah. Who is also going to? You know when TV shows aren't doing so well, they have guest stars. Uh huh. Maybe if you were writing a Moon Knight book and the whole world said, "Who the heck is Moon Knight?" and you tell them, "Don't worry." Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine are in this one. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what it's all about. Do you know why we call that thing out, though, John? We call that out because it's an artificial construct, and we see through it. I think it also comes from... And, and, you know, this isn't nearly as nuanced as what you guys are saying. I think this is just Bendis going, like, who do I want to write? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you, if you were writing a comic? That's that's literally how they would do some of the... Like, some... Some entire runs of of who who are they, who are they talking about? Chris Claremont did a did like a Marvel team up book, and it was him and John Byrne basically saying, "Who do we want to play with this time in our sandbox?" Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, so so sorry. So I read the wiki a little bit. Um, apparently, the the multiple personalities thing is a thing he's had for a while. Uh, so I think that it's just inherent to the character. But apparently, he did have like superhuman powers for a little bit. And then lost them. Oh. Hmm. And I think he gets them back, because I think he has superpowers in the Warren Ellis run. Like, I seem to recall he gets in a fist fight with ghosts, and you can't punch ghosts normally. I would say the Warren Ellis run is before this run. It's actually immediately after. Is it? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You couldn't see, but I was on finger guns. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I I could feel it. Because we're connected. I just want to point out this uh, quote that I read that's a taskmaster who has the ability to copy and replicate anyone's fighting style Uh has stated that he prefers not to copy Moon Knight's style as Moon Knight would rather take a punch than block it. (laughs) As we can tell by him consistently getting beat up in this book. I like that in a good guy. 
That's actually something that I really like about this. He's he's an ineffectual hero. Yeah, Yeah. he's not very good. There were actually flashes of Hawkeye. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just like, he's the guy who's doing his best, bless his heart, but he's a (laughs) bit of a screw up. Uh, You mean mean Hawk guy? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Guy, guy. One of the things I like is uh, you, you. How he really tries to cover up for a lot of his like his mistakes, um, like the part where he just kind of ditches Echo as they're getting all arrested by the police. Oh gosh! And, and he's, he's like, just, like uh... no, leave her. We'll bail her out. We got the money, and then like she gets away. He's like, you know, I think you would have gotten just as angry if I rescued you. And it's like, mm, that's not why you left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're trying to do, Mark Spector. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't love the way they treat Echo in this, either. I don't get a sense of her uh, apart from being the girl in the story. Right. Echo is like... I don't know what her powers are, either. She keeps being a punchline to being a stripper for going undercover. Yeah, which is not great. Um, Echo, though, is, like, she was an Avenger. Yeah. She was Ronin. Oh. Like, after, after... Hawkeye was done being Ronan. Echo took Hawk up the role. Guy. I. I'm gonna I, do it every time. Every time. Stop it. <laughs> like a dog with a bone. <laughs> but what are her powers? She's, do we know? She's deaf. Ooh. Like that's not a power, but that's like a defining characteristic of hers. So I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page. Hold on. She's like a skilled ninja fighter. She is an Olympic well, yeah. level athlete. Possessing photographic reflexes or the uncanny ability to perfectly copy other people's movements. So she is Taskmaster, uh-huh. but she is also deaf. Like, that's the only difference between them. And we don't really see any of that in here. Not no, we really, don't. No. And that's kind of my point. Is like, yeah. she is a skilled fighter, and her role at the big climax of, you know, of this story where... Uh, Moon Knight gets the best of of the bad guy is she video records it, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't sit well with. Yeah, I would like to think I any well. <laughs> the The problem is her treatment doesn't get any better at, at the rest of the series. I don't <laughs> oh, know if no. you guys. Oh, I don't no. know if you guys have read this. You nope. guys, did you guys <laughs> not, not read past what we were no. supposed to? It doesn't get any better. Oh um, shoot! Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, that's we all I'm gonna started say, her really off yeah. as a stripper, so that's not, you know. But you know what the thing is that b- that bothers me too is I hate that her kind of going undercover as a stripper is a punchline when the way that the women are set up as strippers is very like like very uh, empowering because it starts out with this pep talk from I forgot what her name was from from kind of the the right hand guy of, of, of oh Mario. yeah she did have like a code name didn't Snapdragon. she Snapdragon. 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 Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. She's a cell phone processor. Um, <laughs> but uh, but she's kind of giving him this pep talk that's like, you know, the men are going to look down on you, whatever, but really they're looking up to you. At, you know, at the end of the day, they need their mom or, you know. Like, she's give this really kind of empowering thing to all these women who have to, like, become strippers or, or you know, just kind of whatever their actual thing is. I don't think they're assassins. Um, but they're just kind of surveillance and it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like this little empowering thing, but then like by the hero specifically, it's turned into a punchline. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some, like, there's room to do something really interesting with that idea. Like when I was reading that bit where, you know, Snapdragon was talking to the, the, the dancers and she's like, 
you are the eyes and the ears and you can see and hear everything. It, it has shades of like the Sherlock Holmes uh, homeless network. Like yeah. he has yeah. a network of people who are homeless and he uses them to gather information throughout the city, which is kind of an interesting idea. And so there are shades of that here, but it's again, kind of played as just a joke and a punchline. And it's, regardless of your opinions on sex work, it's not exactly like a good treatment of women in general. So no. hard to get behind it, honestly. You know who else has a really good homeless network is uh, John Wick 3 and 2. <laughs> I saw the first one on TV and I was like, oh boy. Oh, oh they get he better. kills everybody. <laughs> no, it was so violent. Like, I, so I usually violent. can tolerate a lot of that, but I was like, whoa. He kills everybody. You don't want to watch the third one. That one starts out at a a nine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) the idea is intriguing, like this uh, hotel for assassins or whatever, like neutral ground or whatever. But, whew. Boy, I sure wish Marvel was publishing the the John Wick comic book so we could read it on the podcast. (laughs) He's hot right now. I mean, more than, I mean, he usually is, but like even more so. (laughs) Just wait and see. We looked at doing the Independence Day uh, adaptation, which Marvel published. Most of the the licensed comics that Marvel has published, not not going to wind up on the app, sadly. Mm-mm. Yeah, because they have a lot of really good. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm not really going to say good. They have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff that just isn't on the app, and mm-hmm. it makes me a little sad. Yeah. Can we talk about the covers? Yeah. I don't know what else I want to say besides, I really like these covers, guys. They're really super good. Um, particularly the third one with Bullseye, which oh. is a fake out and makes me mad. Yeah, I was I love say. Bullseye. But it's still cool. And like the first one, obviously, I, I would say is, I don't know, because the one with the the one with Wolverine and Spider-Man's head and Moon Knight's head, like that's really good too. Yeah. But like the first one works well, like, you know, as you're, as your catching up page, your splash page in the beginning, kind of saying the story so far. Meanwhile, in the whole, you know, whatever. I really like how the uh, how the outline of the moon plays into his costume. Yeah. On that first cover, that's yeah. Really, I didn't pick up on it until like the third issue, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the the cover artist is a guy named Matthew Wilson. Oh, is it not Believe? No, it's it's Matthew Wilson. Oh, interesting. Matt Wilson. Um, if he is. The same Matt Wilson, like that I've heard of elsewhere, he is like one of the most in demand colorists. Like, oh wow, he, he's very, very good. I, I agree, I like these covers. I actually hate number three precisely because it's a fake out. Hmm. Like, and that, that, that ties into the whole like Wolverine, Spider Man, Captain America thing. Like, it demonstrates a lack of confidence in this story. To okay, me, I can see at that. least. And because, again, my only point of contrast is the other Moon Knight series that I've read, which was by Warren Ellis, which doesn't have any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it just gets by on being a really good book with sharp artwork. Which came out first? Now I gotta look that up. Because. So I, I do have to say, actually, out of, out of all the covers, kind of my favorite one has been the second one, where he's sitting there with the. With the Ultron like, head? Ultron head. Yeah. yeah, with the Ultron head. But also because I love the way they rendered the mask, like just pitch black with the, with yeah. the eyes showing. Yeah, and that's actually the 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 one that kind of clued me into the fact that he just has a black mask. Because uh, I thought the mask was black from the shadows, 
No, like he his mask is just black. He has a whole all white costume, minus that. Really? Huh. Yeah. I had not picked up on that. Yeah, uh, I I think it becomes a little bit more clear on his kind of date with Echo, where he puts the mask on and he's trying to tell her to get away. Mm-hmm. And the voices are telling him she can't hear you under the mask. Yeah, right. um, well, that was a great okay. detail. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was kind of frustrated with the way they portrayed Echo's deafness because there were so many times that they were having a conversation and she was not facing Mark. So how yes. does she know what he said? But when they actually, did the bit with the mask, that was good. I liked. That. Yeah, actually, the one that cracked me up too was the one specifically when uh, when they're on the date because. A lot of the times, she's not looking at him, or his mouth, or his face is sideways mm-hmm. to her point of view. And it's like, the last issue, she was, like, telling him, look at me. Like, look at me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't... And then not this time. I don't know that necessarily you need to, like, go out of your way to, like, 100% illustrate, like... Like, you don't need to necessarily go in and explain in depth, this is how a deaf person interacts with the world, you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time... I want a little bit of that verisimilitude. I want that, like... Yeah. Because that's where, like, creativity thrives with limitations. So mm-hmm. if you've got this limitation where you have to visually portray this woman staring at... Not staring, but, like, looking at the, the man's face so that she can read his lips and understand what he's saying, how do you portray that visually in an interesting way? It's a missed opportunity. I also really like the idea that in 2011... We thought speech-to-text technology was that good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Well, it's shield tech, you know. it's not. Steven, you've yeah. been using uh, voice-to-text, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it anywhere near that good? Oh, man. It's... It, it, it's... No. <laughs> if you spoke perfectly clear and enunciated every single syllable every single time and kept it at a slow pace, maybe... But then you throw a proper name in there and it's like, what did you say? You know. I read a lot of medical records and doctors use voice-to-text dictation systems because they have to write a lot of records and they don't have that much time. And I read just the loveliest typos. Like I read a story about a, a person who – I read a story. I read a, a doctor's <laughs> note where the, the, the patient had gotten bit on the face – by a rat that then scurried away. Like, rat jumped on their face, bit them, and then scurried away. And I repeat the word scurried because when the doctor dictated it, it said, the rat bit the patient and then screwed off. (laughs) (laughs) I have a story that I can't say on the podcast um, about these kind of errors, but... Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, this is one of those where it's like, well, in the comic book world things work it's like how jack bauer's cell phone never ran out of battery Um, 24 hours yeah (laughs) uh any other thoughts on moon knight this moon knight came out before warren ellis's moon knight so maybe this did well enough and he became a a well-known enough Mm -hmm. character where warren ellis could take him off and do his own thing without the crutch of of you know spider-man and wolverine now Having looking at cover number three, knowing that it's a trick, let's look at it just as like a drawing, a piece of art. It's great. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. But I get where you're coming from, Stephen. I'm not arguing with that. Yeah. Um, I 
I think if you want, I think what's probably the best cover is just my opinion. Uh, look at the cover for number issue number twelve. I think that's probably one of out of that's the issues, one. out of the whole of the issues. That was probably my favorite. Yeah, that's that one is good pretty one. good. Look forward to reading that book when we get there for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's ranking time, isn't it? It's yeah. ranking time. Time to put these comics up upon a list. Gosh, I got some real Blue's Clues vibes there for some reason. A little bit. I uh, teetered in and out of closing time. <laughs> <laughs> put all of the comics on our list and argue about them. You know that song is about having a baby? That song is about many things. Mainly, it's about needing a song to close out your set at the piano bar. That isn't Piano it was Man. mostly to get people out of the store because you just want to go home because it's 9 at night and you've got McDonald's waiting for you at home. You don't have to go home, you but you stay. can't stay here. All right. So currently on our list, <laughs> number one is Ms. Marvel, No Normal. Uh, probably probably going to be there for a long, long time, guys. Uh, number 56, the very bottom of our list is Spider-Man One More Day. That one's gonna be there for a while. <laughs> Steven, you're supposed to spit when you say it. Uh, gosh, it's uh, it's like a melodrama. We say Ms. Marvel, and then the piano plays dun 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 dun. dun. The audience all claps and cheers, and then we say one more day dun 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 dun. Boo. Okay, so let's start with extremists. Uh, I want to put it around Maximum Carnage. Let's see. That's number 40. I mean, um, I, me. I kept scrolling down. I think it goes lower. I, I mean, that's fine. That, that's me just looking at the first issue that I was like, eh, I'd rather. Eh. I would put it at 47 because I like Civil War better. Um, I, I, So I, I actually think it goes at 45. Five, because like I looked at Marvel sixteen oh two and I'm like, oh, they're kind of comparable. And then I remembered uh, Steve Rogers pretending to be a Native American and thought, nope, oh. extremist is better. Oh yeah, wasn't it like Raja or, or something like that? Rojas. Rojas. Gosh, that's right. it's awful. Oh. Oh. God, I hate that now that I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me though, I think Marvel sixteen oh two kind of has to be the floor. Uh, Aldo, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree on that one. Yeah, bringing up the part, bringing up the point about, um, Native Steve, oof. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's gonna go in between the Ghost Rider Xmas Special and Marvel 1602 at our new number 45. Cool. Alright, and then Moon Knight. Goes a little higher, I think. Yeah. You know, I would put it... <laughs> Where I've started to slow down is... Uh, Rogue and Gambit, number 27. Yeah, I was just seeing where Aldo was highlighting things. I would put it right about, yeah, right about there. Because, um, see, I like it better than, I like it better than the Galaxy's Best Detective, but... Oh my Thor's, gosh, I forgot we Thor's read Battle that. World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was... A Drax? Oh, yeah, wait, 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 that's the Drax one. I do like that Yeah, one. yeah. I kind of like A-Babies versus X-Babies a little bit more. Yeah. And Thor's Battle World like... is is pretty good. I would put it, you know, somewhere around there. I'm I'm good with. I think I like it a little bit better than the Y stands for freedom, and yeah. not quite as much as Rogan Gambit. See, I like it more than Rogan Gambit, but at least we're in the same neighborhood. I'll, right. I'm more inclined to agree with John on this one. Okay. 
Like, I'm actually okay with that. Hey, John, welcome back. Your present is... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Democracy's so good when you win. <laughs> it's been so long. It's been... It's been three rough years. <laughs> Where the voice really of the people like sounds like... <laughs> So that's now 27, which I guess makes uh, uh, extremists are no, like, 46. I hate numbers. They're hard. Uh, whatever. We'll numbers figure that out difficult. anyway. Yeah. Okay. So that does it for, for this episode. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and cover the rest of the stuff and all that you can say on uh, the call and, and help quip. But, John, I know you have to duck out and take care of newborns. Yeah, the dang things they just want to eat all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you were able to join us again. Uh, glad yeah. that the babies are doing well, and Dad and Mom are doing well, and and uh, daughter is hopefully not feeling too neglected yet. No, she uh, she's just very three, but no negative energy directed at her little brothers. <laughs> you know, that's the energy I feel. I'm oh man, they say terrible twos, but that's not that's a lie. It's all about the three year olds. So. <laughs> But that's, you know what? It's the good kind of headaches. Yeah. I will see you guys later. All right. But thanks again for joining us. So for our next episode, Aldo had the great idea of doing a Hollywood director's write Marvel comics episode. And so we're going to do two stories. Uh, the first story that we're going to read is Joss Whedon's introduction to the world of the astonishing X-Men. This is 2004's Astonishing X-Men, numbers 1 through 6. And then we're going to follow that up with Kevin Smith's magnum opus, Spider-Man Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do. <sighs> so I, I know that comic by reputation. Mm -hmm. And only by reputation. And uh -huh. that reputation is the sex offender registry. So, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Yeah, I I just want to remind people that Kevin Smith is, uh, as a writer, let's just say he's really proud that his movies are a little better than his favorite movie, which is Batman v Superman. Um, and that's not, not by Wait, much. is Batman v Superman really his favorite movie? It's one of his favorite movies. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Man, you know, <laughs> John, John and I were actually talking about Kevin Smith before we, we started recording, and... John's like, I really like Kevin Smith's movies. And I, like, I hear Kevin Smith talk, and he says a lot of things that make me think I want to like him. You have to be picky with Kevin Smith. Um, he has some stuff that's really good. Uh, I, I still think Clerks holds up as an independent movie. Um, I think, uh, uh, what was it? What was it? Chasing Amy? Is that Chasing Amy? I think. Yeah, and Chasing Jersey Amy. Yeah, and Jersey Girl are both really good movies. Um, he Dogma, I think, still holds up. It's probably one of the best cult classic films. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that he's done, like Red State, uh, really not good. Walrus, really not good. Clerks 2 is a lot more miss and hit. <laughs> well, I mean, and for me, it's the words that he uses with his mouth that make me think that I don't like him. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't worry. Those same words make it to the page oh boy. and the screen. <laughs> uh, the only... Uh, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we actually yeah. uh, record in a couple weeks. The only Kevin Smith comic that I've read is the one where Batman pees himself. Ah! You know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately. 
I think the thing that kills me about Kevin Smith, like, so much, is I hear him talk, I hear him do his, his like, little, not stand-up, his, like, Q&A storytelling things. Mm-hmm. And I like those, because I imagine Kevin Smith is way that dude you could just sit down with and have, like, a couple beers with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't think he's as good a writer or a director as he should be and thinks he is. Oh, man. Somebody did a really good, uh, like, some YouTuber did a good synopsis of Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Who was it? Was it Patrick Willems? It seems like the sort of thing he would do, but I don't think it was him. I don't think it was him. I, I don't know. I, I You know, the, part of the thing that kills me, too, is... Uh, is he's been making movies for a while, writing scripts, all this stuff. And he did a TV show. He filmed a couple episodes of Supergirl. And he came away from the experience talking about He's like, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, filmmaking and stuff. And I was like, Kevin Smith, you're a filmmaker. You're working on a TV show. I really don't think that this is when you're like, I'm learning a lot. Like, I feel like, you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like as a filmmaker... There's probably not a whole lot to learn from TV shows because a lot because it feels like a lot of TV or movie filmmakers come out of making TV shows. It feels like the opposite. So yeah, I, I I like Kevin Smith as a person. He's absolutely wonderful. He's a great person, human being, at least from what I can tell. But boy, is his uh, is he not that great as his craft? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. I guess we'll get a real taste of his comics work in about two weeks. So, yeah, this episode is going to go up on whatever the heck Monday is. This episode is actually going to go up on July 1st. Ooh. Uh, so our, our discussion of Kevin Smith and Joss Whedon, who is another person that I have a lot of opinions about that might be surprising. <laughs> that episode will go up on July 15th. Uh, listeners, we hope you join us then. Um, thank you so much, Aldo, for being on the podcast. Yeah. And I already thanked John, so, you know, you know he can... He had his. 